Hayesworth Birds, I'm Simon Schofield and this is the Zwiftcast coming up on this episode. And that was where it all started to go horribly wrong. A big mechanical for the Zwiftcast as the main mic recording us three failed, which as you can hear produced audible but somewhat painful sound. In summer, which was 43 degrees Celsius in Adelaide, so 106, 108 Fahrenheit. And ain't nobody got time for that. So a slightly different format is forced upon us this episode. Still lots of Zwifty features, but not quite so much chat, which is a shame because the person who's with me and Shane is Charlie Eisendorf from Zwift, who was a terrific guest co-host in Nathan's absence. Sorry it's all went wrong, Charlie. We will try again. Here's what's coming up this episode. We have the launch of Zwift Run and a brand new colour for the platform. Well, part of it at least. All the latest on the extraordinary Rocker Plate revolution. And blimey, there's another Zwifty podcast being launched. So let's get straight down to Zwift business. Shane and I were in New York for the official launch of a brand new sport on Zwift. Running's been around a bit, but now it's no longer beta. It remains free, but it's a big step forwards for running. Here's what happened in New York. Pink is the new orange. The launch of Zwift Run was bathed in a rosy glow as a second sport was officially added to the platform. The tint played hell with Shane's social media pictures. The lighting in there, I could not get my selfies correct. I, I've got to go back to Instagram and all correct my video. Actually, on the big camera, it was fine. On the small cameras, yeah, it's very, very bright and very loud in there. That small matter aside, this was a big night for Zwift. And there was a full turnout of the company's big bosses, with CEO Eric Min and the game's inventor and run evangelist John Mayfield on hand to speechify and glad-hand the invited audience, which included Zwift Insider Editor-in-Chief Eric Schlange. Did, did you get a kind of palpable sense of excitement in the room or was there bafflement? Did people kind of understand what they were seeing, do you think? I, I thought it was funny when John uh, John Mayfield came up. He was, I think, the last guy to talk and and said, well, we haven't really explained what this actually is yet. And I thought, yeah, that's right. That's that's probably where they should have started. Said, here's everything that Zwift is. Because I, I, I do feel like there's a lot of people in the room who don't really know. So, yeah, I think there is maybe a little bit of a sense of bafflement, a little bit of a sense of... What is this really about? And then there's the veterans walking around like you and me who go, oh, I know what this is about. This is, this is a huge community and this is just going to make it bigger and expand it even more. And that's exactly what it's about. Swift's research indicates that there are more treadmills than turbo trainers, certainly in American homes. Some may be clothes horses. The gamble is that the Swift recipe that's proved so successful for cyclists can be replicated for runners. But it does look to be a very, very large market to go at. Yeah, I think it's a big market. I think I think running has a very low barrier to entry. It's that really simple sport. Uh, I think that's going to be maybe the biggest challenge is getting runners to go from, hey, I always run outside, I don't do anything with technology, to, yeah, I'm willing to snap this foot pod, which, you know, I've never even heard of a foot pod. What does that do? I'm willing to snap that onto my shoe, run indoors. Uh, there's going to be a lot of runners that just aren't willing to do that. But Zwift is convinced there's enough who will. The company will use ambassadors like triathlete Lionel Sanders to sell the story to runners. He's utterly convinced it can work and that anti-indoors mindsets can be changed. 
I mean, if, if, if a runner's already running on the treadmill, that's that's usually the big difference, right, is is in running anyway, is some runners are like, I am so anti-treadmill, I will never run. I would rather run out in negative 20 than ever run on a treadmill. And quite frankly, I just think that that's more that attitude, because I was one of those people about five years ago. And, um, you know, it's weak, it's wimpy, you know what I mean? It's, it's cold out, but that's not an excuse to not go running outside. But the reality is, I just think that that's just, you know, mental baggage, dogma, whatever you want to say, that you're just holding on to. It's not true. I mean, the fact of the matter is, when it's negative 20 outside, the quality of running that you're doing is, is garbage. Um, I'd say borderline dangerous. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the treadmill in its normal state of staring at the wall um, is, as you say, the treadmill. But... Um, when you add in this sort of device, um, I mean, it just takes it to a whole different different level and uh, adds joy. There are a lot of runners out there, so I think it's a good move, and I think it I think it opens up Zwift to an even bigger market. It's like it broadens the overall picture of what Zwift is. When it's not just cycling, oh, it's also running. Now you start thinking, well, what else can it be? You know, it's a it's it's a whole fitness platform now just by adding one more thing and i think i think that's important because i think that's the direction they're going in and i think that's a good direction they really really believe that the running market is bigger than the cycling market and that zwift run could be bigger than zwift ride i think that's what we call it now run and ride yep. um yep. do you believe that no 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 I don't. I'm skeptical. But look, I'd love to see it be a thing. But let's be real now. Those, those treadmills do take up a bit of space and they do cost a bit of money. I want it to be a thing and I'll cover all the tech on my stuff. We'll talk about it on the Zwiftcast because Zwiftcast is now not just riding. We're going to have to have a run segment somewhere now because it's going to be about technology as well and people's adopting new technology and foot pods and this and that. So it's a good market to expand into. But will it, will it be big? We still don't know. Well, we don't know, but we will see over coming weeks and months, and Shane will be keeping a special eye on Zwift Run on behalf of the Zwiftcast. Meanwhile, the cyclists on Zwift have excelled themselves in recent weeks with the rocker plate movement. Here's a big catch-up on the astonishing ingenuity involved. Rocker plates are everywhere, with their own Facebook group and DIY designs sprouting like mushrooms in the darkness. Back in December, the Zwiftcast first reported how ingenious Zwifters, looking for more comfort on their trainers, were beginning to build Chad McNeese's original design. Since then, the whole rocker plate thing has just exploded, with one Zwifter putting his design into full commercial production and amateur designers offering up their ideas to the Zwift community for comment and finesse. What have you started? Uh, a little bit of a movement, it seems like. <laughs> Definitely starting to pick up some steam now. now Mike Bobolek is a typical home builder. I've been right. following the rocker plates from Chad and the other designers uh, on the Facebook pages, on the Zwift Riders and Racers page, and decided that I was going to build my own rocker plate. Uh, we knew we had the kicker climb coming out. So I, in my head, I was just stewing, okay, this has to be a bigger rocker plate. The whole bike has to be involved. I drew a couple quick sketches up um, and then just kind of ran with my first plan. It was the full-length plate that seemed to both catch people's imagination and just make sense. 
Mike shared his design with colleague Chip Self, who just happens to own a fabrication company as well as a couple of bike shops. What, what advantages do you see in that in that full length? It's just more logistically difficult to get on and off the bike when it's for it. If you don't have the full platform, you're trying to get on to something that's four or five inches taller than normal. I'm not super coordinated in the first place, so I don't want to fall off of that. <laughs> Do you think it gives a better a better overall feel? I think it does. I mean, if you look at it from an engineering standpoint, the pivot points are different. So if, uh, if, the, plat- if the entire platform moves and the bike moves on the platform, then you have a consistent pivot point from front to back. If yeah. the trainer is pivoting, you know, two inches lower than the front tire, then they're going to they're going to react differently. The other big recent development seems to be an emerging consensus around the best way to pivot the plate, with the favoured design being the use of a shaft and pillow or cushion bearings. Rocker pioneer Chad approves. I think that's a great use of that tool. Um, I went a different route with mine mainly because I was trying to just make something that was very easy for other users to uh, get access to. But the pillow blocks are actually really nice because they're a ready-made package and uh, just work very nicely once you get it all put together. One Zwifter Martin Speed has gone even further, extending the rocking motion to the front of the bike via a full-length shaft, connecting to a separate mini rocker plate, also equipped with bearings. Neat and less bulky. But it's Chip Self who's gone the full nine yards and launched commercial production. Yeah, I mean, the whole first production run is already sold. Wow. Can you tell me how many? Uh, we've got 20 already. I think there's a lot of, I've gotten a lot of messages from people that uh, are kind of waiting to see how the first batch goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that once once there are some users out there that are having a good experience, that there'll be more, uh, more demand for it. I think there's a lot of people sitting on the fence right now. And have, I mean, have you got sufficient scale to actually t- to fulfill demand if it gets really, really heavy? We do. Uh, we've actually talked to with my fabrication guys and by adding a night crew focused just on these, we think we can produce up to 200 a week. Chip's products, which he's rather cheekily called the rocker, hello Wahoo, is retailing at $450 as a full ready to go version or 320 as a kit, USA only for now. There's been a tiny bit of pushback on price, but he's confident he's got it right. Mm. Uh, the price is just based on what it costs us to build them. There's not much profit margin in there. Uh, there's quite a bit of parts cost in this. I set out to build something using the best parts available. There's a cost to that. Chad's run the rule over chips pricing, and he thinks it's about right. Um, I was uh, kind of surprised, actually. The pricing, just based on where I'd like to see the market, was a little high. Well, ultimately, I think it's very justifiable when you look at the size of the product and what you're actually getting for it. And like you, I was pretty happily surprised that the reception was as good as it was. In truth, the reception to the whole idea has been extraordinary. And there's only really one way to end this report. The Zwift community is saying loud and clear, it's only rock and roll, but we like it. Like it. Yes, we do. How might the trainer industry react to this? I caught up with Kinetics' Jason Overman and I started with this question. Do you think for the industry as as a whole has been kind of caught napping by this DIY revolution? I mean, there was a demand for a product and the product didn't exist, so the community had to invent it. There is there is definitely a case to be made that the other companies have been caught napping. There is obvious demand for this to the point where people are doing it on their own and some of the other stuff that ha- that 
we see come out from time to time doesn't seem to have that sort of groundswell of demand. So yeah, I, I would say that's that's fair. The growth of this DIY movement around rocker plates is really not a big surprise to us. It's just, it's more comfortable to ride your bike inside when it can move the way it's supposed to. For me, it just feels like riding is supposed to feel. It's more comfortable, I can ride longer. Zwift makes it a lot more engaging to ride indoors, but it doesn't, doesn't necessarily make it more comfortable. And that's where things like the rock and roll or a rocker play in is as people are doing longer sessions, they're realizing that the bike is supposed to move with you. Otherwise, your hips tend to rock more. Well, great sales pitch, as, as, as we would have expected. Jason. <laughs> uh, yeah. um, I, I know you're not a lawyer, uh, but we do know that, that, that Kinetic holds several patents around the, the movement of a, a static bike trainer. I mean, do you see you holding those patents as being a barrier to other companies making something that enables a bike to move from side to side? with a separate accessory it, it may be i i am really hesitant to jump into to what other companies lawyers think and how they're how they're approaching that i would be surprised if other companies weren't looking into this sort of thing just because of the growth of this movement and they they see opportunity every company wants to make what their customers want to buy because of this this general kind of consciousness raising of the benefits of movement on on, on a static trainer do you see an uptick in sales? Yeah, we have. It's actually, we've, we've been talking about this a lot lately. So we have a pretty good track record of about a decade of sales with the rock and roll and how that sells relative to the road machine. And the rock and roll smart control, the electronically controlled one, is selling well above that ratio. We're actually out of the rock and roll smart controls right now. Uh, great to talk to you and get that kind of whole industry overview, or at least uh, from your bit of the forest. Uh, thanks very much indeed for your time. Thank you as well. Anytime. Well, despite the patent issues around this, I hear there are big developments underway at various trainer companies. I hope I can bring you more solid news on this soon. Okay, next, many Zwifters do work a little while on the trainer, sending the odd email and what have you, but one media business has taken it to the next level. Welcome to Neil Rogers, Editor-in-Chief of Cycling Tips. Uh, cycling website seems to be doing really, really well. And the site's about 10 years old, but has really taken off in the last four or five years. Uh, so it's a new site, it's young and um, not perhaps not burdened down by some of the expectations that some of the other cycling media, you know, websites that originally spawned from magazines, you know, there's a bit of a legacy there and an expectation and, and we're sort of free to pursue whatever stories we find interesting. You have staff scattered literally all over the world, don't you? I mean, just give me a quick rundown of where you've got people. We've got uh, staff in Australia, that's where headquarters are in Melbourne. And then we have uh, editors in, in Spain, and in France and here in the US, uh, in Boulder, Colorado, as well as in Seattle, Washington. I mean, the thing with remote working, I mean, it's great. It's the modern way, it kind of works. It's really good for people, but that kind of esprit de corps and that camaraderie you get from an office, um, it, it's hard to recreate that, but you have kind of found a way of sort of doing that. Tell us more something is lost in the ability to just sort of bounce ideas off of one another and have discussions and collaborate. Um, so what we have, and we're all cyclists. So what we decided to do was to ride together remotely, uh, using Zwift and using smart trainers. 
uh, as and and using our phones as well. It's it's a bit of a complicated, very <laughs> postmodern uh, way to connect. So yeah, we ride together uh, across the country, um, and so the weekly call between the the U.S. editorial and advertising team takes place uh, on the bike. Given that we had a kind of bit of a technical nightmare even getting this call set up, technology is fantastic, but not always completely reliable. I mean, is it is it a technical horror show trying to get this thing going or not? Yes and no. I'm not going to lie. The first time was a bit of a farce. <laughs> it was, you know, both on the on the the conference call side. I mean, anybody who's been on conference calls regularly knows that it, it can be a bit ridiculous just doing that. And then, you know, we had some people who were new to Zwift, or they were setting up their trainers, and so a lot of patience was required. Uh, but yeah, you work through the kinks and you have to kind of have a sense of humor about it. But the first time that we actually were all on the call together and we were all in the same uh, route in Zwift and we were all, you know, sort of found each other and pedaling along. It was sort of this eureka moment, like, hey, we actually did it. And then after that, it's become easier and easier. It, it sounds like a lot of fun. And maybe the point is that it is just a lot of fun and it's a way of connecting but i mean do you actually get any work done i mean is anything meaningful discussed sort of in between difficult segments you know if if, <laughs> if, if something meaningful comes up and you're you're halfway up the box hill climb and uh, you know people start to huff and puff uh yeah it's sort of like okay we'll talk about that on the descent and you know for anyone who works in an office where lunch rides are are normal or part of the routine it's sort of the same i mean there's some there's you talk shop a bit on the rollout or, or the ride back in and then there's a part of the ride where it actually gets difficult and yeah. there's just like any group ride i mean there's there's moments on any group ride where there's not a lot of discussion so it's it's the same that way you know you don't walk away from something like that with a, a sheet full of notes um, but it, it, I think it's it's sort of it's somewhere between you know maybe equal parts workout bonding experience and productive meeting. It's it's like a normal ride. I mean you know if you get dropped you'll get heckled and you know there might be moments where there is some huffing and puffing and you know people try to get you to talk when they can tell you're suffering. I mean it's all, it's all the same dynamics. It's just virtual. Well, it's a really, really cool idea. Congratulations on, on pulling it off. And, uh, <laughs> you know, let's hope it spreads. Uh, great to talk to you. Thanks very much for your time, Neil. Yeah, thank you. I wonder if that could catch on. With companies now so keen to promote the well-being of their workforce, they just might. OK, well, we have a new Zwift-related podcast. Well, they do say imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to Zwift Coaching Podcast number one. Wait, that's not me. That's not Shane. That's not Nathan. Who are these podcasters? My name is Matt Rowe. I'm the founder and a coach at Rowan King. Uh, I've been a keen Zwifter for the last 18 months or so. Okay, who's that other bloke? My two fellows, uh, Coach Hendy, Greg Henderson. Hello, Greg. Uh, I'm currently the performance manager and track endurance coach at the USA Cycling. However, prior to that, I was a professional cyclist for 15 years in the World Tour. Uh, I'm a five-time Olympian, uh, former world track champ. Hmm, obviously knows his stuff. What about dude number three? And we're also joined by Jordan Rapp of Zwift. Been working there since uh, end of September of 2017. Prior to that, I was a professional long-course triathlete for about 12 years. 
was the 2011 IT long distance world champ and the six time Ironman winner. Okay, I see how it is. These three, unlike me, Shade and Nathan, actually seem to know what they're talking about. And they're going to be talking about it to you on the new Zwift Coaching Podcast, which is going to be available around once a month and will be tied to Workout Wednesday. So what can we expect? Um, and I'm filling in for him. Well, uh, here's so Jordan with a handy little explanation of how the rubber band feature on workouts actually works. I have done. We bump everybody's uh, drag coefficient way up. So essentially, if you get to the front of the group, it would be like, you know, you're riding into a massive headwind. Uh, and then the draft benefit from that is also would then be quite significant. So this is all behind the scenes. And then also we alter your weight a little bit. So all of the riders are heavier. This is why you'll see that the speeds in the group workouts are, are quite a bit lower. Um, some people complain about that, but we also... I think it's important for people to remember that we have tried to bias it to be slower so that when we have athletes who come in who are novices, we've actually gotten some reports where people have said, you know, this is way faster than I'd ever ride. So I think we need to remember that there are people out there, you know, who might have an FTP that would be, you know, 150 watts, something like that. You know, they're just starting. And I think it's it's easy to forget that after you've been- Interesting stuff, Jordan. But actually, this is not a podcast about tech. It's a podcast on coaching. And much of the chat will center on coaching, tips, tricks, myths, methods, techniques, all of that coach porn that people love to revel in. So um, today's podcast, we're going to look at training phases, the kind of the concept of what is a training phase, you know, how, how does it all piece together? You would do anywhere from 15 to 20 minutes of um, really low cadence, uh, uh, 50 RPM, to 60 RPM, but you don't actually uh, hold onto the handlebars. You just basically um, rest your hands on the handlebars and you have to really concentrate on a fluid motion of pedaling. And it honestly feels like your hamstrings are about to, to drop off the bone there. So that would be definitely- It's interesting to see how we've had some of these tools, like we basically built the ramp there as an easy way to do warm up and cool down, but a lot of coaches have repurposed these ramps for short efforts. Um, you know, other kinds of... So lots of useful efforts. coach uh, chats in the Zwift coaching podcast available on Workout Wednesdays and soon to appear in game as well. But if there's only room for, I don't know, say two podcasts in your life, well, you know what the other one's going to be. That's it for this one. Sorry about the format change. It was unfortunate. I hope it didn't spoil your enjoyment too much. Shane, Nathan and I will be back in a full flow for the next episode. All that remains to say is the customary thanks to Zwift for supporting the podcast and a reminder that all the views we express are ours and all ours and we don't get told what to say. We hope you enjoyed watching or listening. See you next time.